In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Here come the drums. C-R-I-M-E-W-A-V. You're rolling with the Crime Wave, the Internet's first and only podcast devoted to crime fiction. I'm Seth Harwood. The Crime Wave is produced with help from Aldo Calcano, Gary Johnson, and Lee Dalmonte. It is not safe for your minivans, so put those earmuffs on your kids. Welcome to the October Crime Wave, Seth Harwood's hardcore monthly fiction podcast. This is guest host Mark L. Berry filling in for Seth so he can get back to some serious writing. But wait, don't touch that dial. Seth will still be here momentarily because this month, the Crime Wave is featuring his latest short story, To the Bone. That's right. Seth isn't hosting this month because he is his own guest. Also, because the creator of the Jack Palm series, Jack Wakes Up, and This Is Life, is busy with real daddy duties. But rest assured that in between those midnight diaper changes, during the dead of night, he is putting pen to paper to bring us more of his cutting-edge crime drama. And while we're talking about our master of suspense... And the Jack Palm series. Don't forget about the third awesome installment of that trilogy, Checkmate. You know the title is Check in all caps. Those machine gun wielding Eastern Europeans are loose in America, so look out. And if you're a true Jack Palms fan, then you already know about Young Junius, Seth's spin off character from the main series. It's set during Junius's early teenage days, and he's fighting for survival in the rough streets of the Boston burbs. Gangs, drugs, betrayal, and violence all play out in and around a set of towering apartments where fear is the steady diet of the local residents. Seth's newest novel, In Broad Daylight, has been tearing up the Amazon charts. In case you haven't heard... His lady lead with hip hardware full of lead, FBI agent Jess Harding, is hot on the trail of a serial killer through both Alaska and San Francisco, but that elusive psycho predator prefers to be the hunter rather than the hunted. And he gives Jess Harding quite a handful of trouble. Seth has been supporting this novel with lots of local readings, so if you're in the San Fran area, then dial up his blog for info about these personal appearances and a chance to meet him he and his palms daddies are hiding out over at sethharwood.com tonight seth is on the crime wave podium reading his short story to the bone that is chock full of dark characters bloody feuds and bone crunching mortal combat so lock your doors turn out your lights set your speed dialer for 911 and get ready to listen to Seth's original crime wave story. Here's Seth. To the Bone by your boy, Seth Harwood. He stood with his feet in the water, ankle deep, letting the chill sink into his bones. 
She had left him no choice. Jasmine. Now she lay in the river, slumped against the rocks, the current gently pushing its way into her hair. Her brothers would want him dead now, their father too. If he left everything behind, he could be out of the state by morning. Not that he would. Birds chirped in the trees behind and above him, as they always did in these woods, crying out at the sky, bruising the darkness. Her blood sped from burst lips, swept off down water. When Duncan got home, his uncle Estep relaxed on the couch, feet on the table. He sized up Duncan with one glance. You had to, he said. No choice now. Sure isn't. Estep shut off the TV, stood up. I'll call Davis. Guess we need to take it direct to the brothers and not wait. Estep nodded, then spit into his dip cup. Like that, the matter was decided. Duncan hit the spoon against his palm, waiting for the biggest of the three to come out the back of his house. The spoon, big, thick, and made of a hard, dark wood, a tool Mexicans used to stir their pigskin scraps in a cauldron of cooking lard. He hoped it would be sufficient to the job. In his hurry, it had been the biggest thing he could lay hands on. The brother came out ten minutes later. Edward, his name. Had to be the biggest first. The only way to save face with Estep. Edward walked past Duncan toward the fence, hunched his shoulders to light a smoke. That was when Duncan cranked the spoon off the back of his skull. Soon as he did it, he knew he'd made the wrong choice of tool. The handle splintered in his hand, broke clean off just below its bowl. Edward turned around, more angry than senseless. Duncan shoved the broken spoon handle into Edward's side, driving in the shattered wood. The big man stepped back and smashed a fist into Duncan's jaw. Duncan saw white, but stabbed again with the handle. When his eyes cleared, he could see he had managed to lodge it, full in to his hand in the soft space below Edward's neck. Edward dropped to his knees at Duncan's feet. Her brothers should have known it would end like this, should have stopped her way before things got too far. But Jasmine wasn't right from the start, not because of her color, but her hair. She wore it big like a halo, picked out in an afro that told the town's whites to leave her alone, that she wouldn't take things in their natural way. At first, she went to Duncan as sure as he went to her. Even more so, the bulk of the instigation came on her part, not his. She just came up to him at the grocery one morning after his lunch, this back when he worked the early shift at the mill and ate breakfast at 3 a.m., lunch around 10. She came right up and put her hand against his, laughed out loud at the difference in their color. Chocolate and milk, she said. He didn't know what to say. Put your hand in my pocket. She nodded at her thigh, already directing him to go too far. You paint those on? Just about. She gave him all of her smile then, both eyelids batting, and even a man with a saint soul couldn't have said no.
Duncan was no saint either. Neither did he have a woman at home to say no for. Soon he was spending his days asleep after work and going out with her nights, not sleeping like a person, instead like some nocturnal creature giving up his life to her sex. Mornings, he'd go straight to work from her bed, not sleeping, the early shift perfect for this, with no one around to see him doze, no one to bother if he showed up still smelling of her wet. He'd done this close to a month when Estep stopped in. Ain't seen you around. More an accusation than a question. Estep stood crooked against the doorframe at two in the afternoon, Duncan just home from the mill, ready for bed. His eyes narrowed on his uncle's, testing what he knew. Then Estep laughed. Of course he'd known. Everyone would. Shit, boy. What you been thinking to get mixed up like this? He kicked the lounger aside on his way to the couch. Dumb as a tree branch. Duncan had no defense. If he had been thinking ahead, he would have known this was coming. But of course he never had. Not since her. Got to put this to an end, Estep said. Only one way. Now, Duncan stood over her brother, looking down as Edward fell face first into the mud. Splintered wood pushed through the back of his black neck. Duncan stepped away and towed blood off his boot in the dirt. Only the other two brothers and the old man left. In his idling car, Estep waited at the top of the road. It was raining, off and on and off again, just clear for a few minutes while Duncan waited in Edward's yard. Now the skies opened up as he walked. He didn't bother to run or try to avoid the water under a tree. He walked down the center of the dirt road, letting the downpour slick his hair to his head and his clothes to his skin. The fuck you doing? Estep had the window down just enough. Get your ass out of that rain if you expect to sit in here. When Duncan tried the handle, the door was locked. Not getting into my car that wet. Just about want to pour the water in, do you? Duncan wiped hair from his eyes and turned to walk. He could make it home on his own. He started along the gravel, Estep keeping pace behind him. Wipers set on full. Up the next block, Davis flashed his lights. Too wet now anyway. Estep sped off. As he passed Davis, he honked. Davis flashed his lights again, then spun wheels on the wet, slick road and peeled out. I don't care. A light came on in one of the houses. Duncan stopped where he stood, the rain beating down around him so hard he could hear it sizzle the road like a cymbal. A boy stood in the lit window, looking out at him, no doubt wondering what he meant to do out there in all this wet. Duncan was alone on the wrong side of town now, this boy not yet ready to understand. The boy shook his head. Lightning flashed and Duncan noticed the other form then, a man's body standing under the eaves of the boy's house, keeping out of the rain. His was the thin form of one who spent too many nights outside, who slipped from place to place with outstretched hands, asking for whatever he could get. He saw Duncan but didn't move. He'd be armed. A knife maybe or a sap. 
Duncan had been wrong to give up the protection of Estep's car. He put his boots to use then, walking faster toward town center, the nexus where different kinds came to blend. In minutes, the rain eased and he heard footsteps following. When he glanced back, he saw the thin man stepping fast to catch up. Got a quarter? the man asked, his hand stretched out. He had barely come abreast. Not tonight. Duncan turned his shoulder. You ain't got even a quarter to spare? One bit? Duncan pushed into the cold, determined to keep going. Then a hand caught his arm and fingers dug in. He resisted at first, but then when the hand didn't let go, he spun around fearing the knife. Suddenly, the two men stood face to face, Duncan's right hand on the man's left wrist and the man's right hand on Duncan's arm. No knife. Anger and disappointment welled in the man's eyes. He pushed Duncan, trying to knock him off balance on the wet cement. Duncan set his legs wide, one in front of the other, planting his feet. He twisted his hold on the man and swept him off balance. The man slipped. Duncan felt how light he was, like a thing to be lifted up and moved. But the man swung his arm, snapping Duncan's hold and sending himself further off kilter. He fell to the ground with an elbow's crack of bone. Duncan cocked his fist, knowing he wouldn't punch. What is wrong with you, old man? One bit. Give it me. He grabbed for Duncan's sleeve, and Duncan stepped away, glanced around. All he saw was so much dark. This time of night, the house is quiet. Please, I need to eat. Duncan stepped in and kicked the man in the face then. Snapped toe of boot to the bridge of nose between forehead and nostrils. The head snapped back, and Duncan kicked again, then stomped on a hand, a forearm, a wrist. Each attack forced the man into a tighter ball. Now he kicked his back, bringing only a grunt or two. He aimed his toe at the spine, hoping to break it, then the ribs to its side. On a normal man, there was muscle here from hard work, but here it was all bone, cracking bones. When it was finished, Duncan stood back ashamed and surprised, unsure why or how he'd done it. The act just got easier, he now saw, the more you did it. Next morning, the other brothers found Edward on their way to work. They went directly to town, looking to find his killer and make things right. Their father didn't yet know. This gave them solace. No one had found Jasmine, even thought to look yet. In all the rain, she'd likely be washed downriver someplace even Duncan couldn't find. He sat at the breakfast counter, eating his lunch, half a shift still to finish. He'd been late arriving, but the manager barely cared. No one said anything about what you did on nights, unless you really botched things up. He watched the brothers' movements out on the street, saw who they spoke to, even listened to what they said when they came inside. It was not easy to sit in place and avoid their stares listening as others told them they had no ideas. Then they asked him, Edward dead? he asked. Terrible. The lie wasn't even hard. Then they were gone. 
Duncan sipped his coffee, listening to the others. Conversation about Edward didn't last. No one seemed surprised. And no mention of the thin man. Perhaps his death the kind that never leaves the street. Duncan put two quarters beside his coffee, stood to leave. See you later, Edna. Outside, no thought of going back to the mill. He watched the brothers talk to whomever would listen. No one with anything to give. After a time, they separated, just as Duncan had hoped. Now he claimed the second brother. Followed him into a whites-only pool hall he should have known better than to try. Estep and Davis shot at a table in the back. This a piece of luck Duncan couldn't have predicted. He nodded to them. They'd seen Mike, were happy as Duncan he'd come around. He took a while to make his way back to them. Duncan didn't mind. Sitting in one of the high back chairs, watching his uncle and Davis shoot, he felt okay for the first time since he twisted the knife out of Jasmine. In truth, being with her had made him happier than he'd ever known. He held a pool cue staring at the wood, astonished at how thin compared to the spoon. Come to ask you fellows a question, Mike started when he approached. He'd said the same thing to every group in the room. Estep glanced up from the green felt and looked back to the cue ball. Don't want none. He was lining up a shot on the eight. No, no, Mike put his hands up. This ain't like that. I come to ask about my brother, Edward. He dead by a Mexican, we think. Aim to find which one. Duncan did his best not to smile. Davis asked, which one he pissed off. Estep shot Mike a look. We look like we know any Mexicans. No, no. Not like my brother to make anyone angry. Mike didn't appear dangerous. Perhaps without Edward or the others, he wasn't much. But neither had the thin drifter been. Estep took his shot, finishing the game, and straightened up. He held the stick. Maybe your sister, then. She screwing Mexicans now? Oh, no, now. Mike got his ire up, squeezed hands into fists. Davis blocked Mike's path. Duncan got up. Not a good idea to come in here, was it? Then he said the word Duncan didn't like to hear. Jasmine had called him that once or twice. Back then it was funny. When Davis said it, Mike bit his lips. Davis pushed him towards Estep. Now what you gonna do? Mike faced Estep with wide eyes. Duncan closed off any last path. The hall echoed in silence around them. People knew a good time to go for a break, not wanting to bear witness. Duncan? I thought you were a friend. He worked with them down at the mill. In truth, he'd never had any problem with the brothers. Duncan met Mike's eyes, shook his head. Not now. This ain't right, Mike said. Our fight ain't with you all. You got a fight? Davis pushed Mike again, this time keeping him tight against the table. Estep said, Tell about this Mexican. Don't you boys hurt that felt now? Duncan looked over to see the hall's manager. Old Chevy tip his hat. 
He nodded at the open back door to the alley beyond it. Shoot pool, Mike said. Why don't you go back to what you was doing? Our game over, friend. Estep held the cue over his shoulder now. Tell me, why didn't your sister keep to herself? This ain't about her. Shit. Duncan's voice cracked. He cleared his throat. Shit, it ain't. When Mike turned, Estep snapped the cue around from his shoulder, stung it across Mike's face like a whip. Big mistake coming in here, Davis said. Plus your fucking sister not keeping her legs closed. Duncan had a small knife by his side, something he took on hunts. He hadn't in years, but today he carried it into town. Now he folded out the blade, no more than two inches, but sharp. He stepped between the others, pushed them away, and stuck the knife in Mike's side to its handle. Whoa, now. Davis stepped into him, holding Duncan's arm. You don't want to make that mess in here. Big mess, Estep said, and now he lifted the cue over Mike's head and used it to pin his arms. Keep that all the way in him for me. Mike's eyes were wide. He struggled, but the three held him tight, started him toward the alley. The fuck you boys doing? Estep twisted the knife and warm blood shot out onto his wrist. Mike made a wet sound. Hurry it up now, Davis said. They pushed through the door and into the alley, then threw the black man across the empty space, splashing him against the far wall. Duncan's knife was dark with blood. Mike scrambled to get his footing, a rush of red coming to the front of his shirt. Estep stepped forward, but Duncan moved in, swung the knife again. He pulled it out sloppy, cutting sideways, trying to gut him, then plunged it in a half dozen times, in and out of the man. Mike fell to his knees, and Davis swung his fists to the side of his head knocking him one way and then the other. Estep started kicking, neither man saying anything now, just using their feet and hands to do their blood work. Estep said, You don't come into a place like this, not unless you're looking for trouble like your sister, and she put you where you is now. The words echoed in Duncan's ears. He stood still, wiping blood off the knife with his handkerchief. They couldn't leave a man dead behind a pool hall, so they carted him to the other end of the block to leave behind a Chinese restaurant. Enough bad cabbage there and strange smells, they figured, that no one would notice or care. Duncan walked out of the alley's shade into the sun squinting, hungry like never before. It was lunchtime, a break in the day for workers on the main shift, the crowd overflowing into the street. Hungry he said to Estep. Come on. Estep led the three of them back to his apartment, where he threw steaks into a pan and chopped onion to cook alongside. They passed a bottle of rock gut while coffee simmered in a pot. You get all that crazy out of you last night? Duncan nodded. Didn't know what you thinking in that rain. Fuck it, I said. Let him walk. I'm better now. But you still got enough crazy in you to knife that nigga. Davis forked at his steak, said he liked it to bite back. 
He slapped it down on a plate with the onions barely soft, spilled on salt. You be careful there. Like to make you talk in moos, you eat it like that. Duncan said, looks like our work half done. Just one more brother and the old man. Eat your food. Estep pushed whiskey at Duncan and poured coffee. It'll be ready just a minute. Then we wait until tonight. But later that afternoon, the third brother and the old man came looking. That many men in a pool hall, you couldn't help word getting out, even back to the other side of town. Not with his people asking everyone about the last place Mike been seen. When Duncan woke up from his rot gut, he heard them calling out in the street. Estep Goins, the father yelled. Estep and Duncan Goins. Fuck they want us to do, Estep asked. But he knew. They all three knew the men wanted them to come outside and finish what they'd started. Duncan felt glad to have it closer to an end. He went to the window, saw the old man and the third brother. Thomas, this one was called. Then two others. Thomas gripped a length of chain, the old man held a small gun, and the other two held switches. Looks like we outmanned, Davis said. Shit. Estep drawled a slew of curses. Not more than four of them there to our three. Sounds fair to my mind. He went to the window. What you want? Come down here. What? Come outside. Or else what? The old man thought hard on that for a few moments, struggling with the unexpected. But Estep didn't make him answer. Never mind, old man. We coming. Davis laughed. Poor nigger never knew what to say. Ask him two and two. What you got in this house to fight with? Duncan knew his little knife wouldn't be enough now. Estep went out and came back holding a shotgun by its barrel. He checked it for full and stuffed his pocket with shells. I got this. Best look to the closet for what you need. Davis removed a small revolver from the waist of his pants and spun the cylinder. This here good for me. In the closet, Duncan found a wooden baseball bat and a long knife Estep liked to call a machete. He hefted the weight of each in his hands and settled on the second. Even if I am bringing a knife to a gunfight. Fuck. Take that rifle there. Estep pulled a hunting gun from the back of the closet. A single shot muzzle loader that Duncan would never want in this. Estep and Davis laughed at him until he pushed it back into the closet as far as he could reach. No, Davis said. You sure about that? I'm liable to take my one shot, then use the thing to sound off on someone's head. This splinters, you okay with that? Estep frowned. Just stay behind us at first. Once that old man ain't shooting, you be fine. They went out the back and came around front to see the four from a different angle. Sure enough, they stood on the other side of the street, waiting just like they meant to. The old man's pistol was almost too small to bother, but you had to respect a gun. Duncan thought Estep might call the old man to lay it down, but there was no right to that. Announcing where they were and appealing to a sense of reason that wasn't there. And Estep and Duncan just assumed to have their fun. 
Let me drop that old man for us, Estep said. He shouldered his shotgun and sighted on the street. You go around the other side, he told Davis, who took off around the back side of the house to come up at them from the other. When he'd gone, Estep said, Good, come down to this, better to be just us family. Estep fired then, ripping the day in half and making anyone unsure scatter. He came around the corner of the house breaching a new round, and Duncan followed. The old man lay in the dirt, clawing at his right side with his left hand, trying to brush away the pieces of his shirt now like he'd brush off dirt. His gun laid beside him, but his right hand didn't work. He twitched with pain. Estep fired again at another, taking out his legs. Thomas ran at them holding his chain, then threw it at Estep when he racked the shotgun. Estep covered up and the brother leapt, but Duncan knocked him out of the air with the machete, swinging it like a club into his back. He fell on top of him, trying to swing the machete again, but this time Thomas blocked it with his forearm, a horrible sound of metal splitting bone, and held Duncan's arms. He kneed Duncan and punched him harder than the oldest brother had from his back. Then they rolled and Thomas stood up, holding the machete. He swung it on Estep, knocking the shotgun from his hands. Duncan heard a gun go off behind them and saw Davis in the street. He'd missed, though, still too far away to do anything other than throw his bullets around. The last man ran toward Duncan now as he scrambled to his feet. Another used the father's gun, the one Estep had shot in the legs, shooting back at Davis enough to keep him busy. Duncan blocked a blow from the switch with his left forearm, felt a crunch in his own bone. He threw an uppercut to body, stumbled back from a stiff jab to his face. Now he covered up. He had his hands full, but not too much to see Estep wasn't doing any better with Thomas. He had the machete and chopped at Estep, who did the best he could to dance away, trying to get time to rack his shotgun. Duncan threw two rights, both hooks, both slapping off the man's face like so much insult. The man came back with the switch low to Duncan's legs, knocking them out from under. Then he found himself on the ground, clawing at the other's legs, trying to bring him down. The switch rained on his head and arms until he dragged his man down and got himself on top. He heard grunting from Estep's direction, more shooting from that end of the street. Then the switch was under him, in his hands. He pushed it down onto the man's chest, trying to roll it up to his neck to cut off air. They both were pushing it toward one another. Then they rolled and Duncan was on the bottom, feeling the switch push down against him. It moved toward his neck. He felt himself being overpowered. A shot close behind him, too close to his head, then the man's strength fading, leaving him altogether. Duncan pushed him off. He saw Davis's gun and Davis behind it, then an awful yell. Duncan turned, saw Thomas rushing at him with the machete, swinging it with both hands and its blade clapping deep down and hard into Duncan's collar. He felt the bone splinter, muscle cut, and he was out of breath suddenly, then on his back. Thomas pulled at the machete to get it out and strike again, his foot at Duncan's neck. When it came free, Duncan felt air whooshing into parts of him that had never known it, like he was breathing directly into his lungs.
Davis shot Thomas before he could swing again, and he fell on top of Duncan, struggling to breathe and to speak, shot through the neck, blood spilling all out onto Duncan now, mixing with his own. Get him off me, Duncan coughed. Then Estep kicked the brother off him and smashed the stock of the shotgun down hard onto his head. You gonna be okay? Duncan knew this to be a lie. The leeway or the leash, he heard Estep saying long ago, somewhere in what he could remember of before they'd killed Edward. He had meant the brothers and the father gave Jasmine too much of one or the other, that they should have kept her reined in. Lead to nothing but trouble and bloodshed, Estep had said. Duncan coughed and his throat filled with blood. He tried talking, meaning to tell his uncle he'd been right way back when. He tried to apologize for beginning all of this, for being taken in by her. But the only thing that came out of him were sounds, gurgles and strange whistles that he could not control. He reached out to Estep with his left hand now the only one he could feel, but wasn't sure what it might do. That was bad to the bone. No, that's George Thurgood. <laughs> that was to the bone by Crime Wave's very own Seth Harwood. Did you dig it? That story was just published in the booked.anthology from the good people at bookedpodcast.com. You can buy the book in print or as an ebook at amazon.com. I should also mention that it was edited by Pella Villa and that the good people at Booked are Rob Olson and Livius Nedden. These guys have traveled the country tirelessly for two years with stops all over to record stories by many great crime writers. I'm happy to be included in this anthology. If you want to get it at a great discount, head over to bookedpodcast.com, and when you're there, look for the store link in the upper right-hand corner. Then use the code CRIMEWAVE to get 50% off the anthology's ebook. You heard right, 50% off. Go get yours at bookedpodcast.com, where you can also find lots of other great podcasts like those on the Crime Wave. Crime stories, interviews, book reviews, and much more over there. So enjoy, and when they ask you who you be, you tell them that Seth sent you, and that Crime Wave is where you keep it locked for crime fiction. Thanks to Mark for hosting this week's episode, Word Booty, and he will take care of y'all for the near future. Coming up soon, we got Reese Hirsch and a couple of other great writers for you. Take care. Be easy, stay criminal, and don't let Patrick Swayze get into your hen house. Drop Seth a line and let him know that you are picking up all that he is putting down through his podcasting efforts. Seth's website, as always, is SethHarwood.com. Don't forget to pick up a copy of his latest novel, In Broad Daylight, to show your support. And keep listening to his free podcasts. This is Mark L. Berry, and I will be back next month to once again host the Crime Wave with another story that's hand-selected by Seth.
You can check out my free podcast novel, Pushing Leaves Towards the Sun, on patiobooks.com and iTunes. It's a survivor's guilt story told by two friends, Billy and Lindy, while they wrestle with the sudden motorcycle death of their best friend, Oso. A dozen original songs are woven into 36 episodes. And in recent news, my memoir, 13,760 Feet, My Personal Hole in the Sky, was just released in paperback and ebook on Amazon.com. It's a commercial aviation true story that revolves around TWA Flight 800, a Boeing 747 that blew up off the coast of Long Island with my fiance Suzanne, on board. It has 34 original songs woven into it. Find out more at MarkLBerry.com. Well, that's it for this month's Crime Wave. Send Seth your comments, ideas, questions, and suggestions. And don't forget to turn your friends on to this monthly feed. Crime Wave. That's W-A-V. Thank you for listening to The Crime Wave. I'm your host, Seth Harwood. I hope you'll check out the rest of the stories here on Crime Wave and tell your friends about it. It's the C-R-I-M-E-W-A-V. Help pass the word. Register at our site so that you can participate in the forums and add comments to the episodes. You can email us with questions or comments at info at crimewave.com. Aldo, the mystery dog, and I will get your email and we'll get back to you right quick. You can also call the K7 line, 206-350-4998, to leave comments or feedback. And if you leave a great message, we'll even play it at the end of a show. So drop a line, hop on the website, visit often, spread the word, and thank you for stopping by the Crime Wave. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime.